everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. We're so glad that you are tuning in. You can tune in one of several ways, or maybe just one of two ways. Oh. One way <laughs> is that you can listen via your favorite podcasting modality. Ooh. Maybe we need a third option. Well, the YouTube channel, I mean, I think it initially generated a lot of interest just to see what we looked like. And then once people discovered, they went back to just listening to our voices. And and I think I think we can understand that completely. Maybe we need an animated feature. I'm sure they make those. Absolutely. But anyway, if um if your jam and, and I and I'm getting into this, I mean it's it's kind of surprising to me. But like when they started um like putting radio shows on television. So you could like watch the Dan Patrick show, for instance. I thought, what a yeah. what a just horrible idea, and then it, it, like I like it, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so it, maybe you're like that, and maybe you just want to you want to just watch this and watch our faces, and and in that case, many more blessings upon you. And, and if you're like, no, I don't, I just ate, and I don't need that in my life right now, then just blessings on you. But <laughs> blessed are those, Jesus says, who see and believe. There you go. But he then goes on to Not say, miss it, miss it, even more blessed are those who don't see and believe. So that kind of goes against oh, my it. entire point. Curveball. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we're trying to find a, a very fancy background for uh, my egg-shaped head. And um, You guys just missed well, it. Well, yeah. We, we, we almost just left it up. It, it, picture a blue and white sheet that has its creases still in there that doesn't cover the whole background of the screen. That's that's kind of the... Uh, it looked real nice on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, it did. But anyway, you get a glimpse into our living rooms in Tim's basement. And if you look carefully in Tim's basement, what you can't see that's out of camera angle is a bunch of cassette tapes, um, the Chewbacca's, <laughs> Um, and, uh, what you got teen wolf figurines. Um, I mean, Tim, Tim is a collector. Yep. There it is. That's where I first <laughs> really discovered Jason Bateman was teen wolf too. Um, anyway, <laughs> which they never let him forget on the smart. I know. Podcast. I know. <laughs> yeah. Someone asked, what's that reference? What's that podcast you referenced for a certain kind of person? Smartless with uh, Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes is really funny. And they have a little documentary yes. on the YouTubes, oh, or on uh, Netflix, I think. And it's it's funny. Anyway, all that is to say, we're so excited. And, and we genuinely, like I know we say this all the time, but we genuinely mean it every time. We're, we're so grateful that you would take some time to tune in. As we, we're now going to pick up some steam um, through the book of Revelation. You know, there were scoffers early on at the glacial pace. We have today, we're going to get into chapter six, um, and then we have a piece of background to do. And that piece of background is going to help us understand um, a set of patterns that, that occur between chapter six and 16. So we're going we're gonna to take a kind of a bird's eye view of chapter six. Chapter six is going to introduce us to an Old Testament theme. That Old Testament theme, we're going to explore the rest of this episode. Then we're going to go back into Revelation and so show how um, a total of three times Revelation like like cycles around this particular Old Testament theme. And that actually really helps clarify a lot of what's being said and a lot of what the imagery is tied into. All right. So this is this is still background. But it is like if we get this section of background, the book unlocks in ways that um, that are really important and I think really helpful. So chapter six. Noise. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Remember in chapter five, there was a scroll that was closed up with seven seals. And it really symbolizes the message of the Old Testament prophets. The, the sealed up scroll is an image from the Old Testament prophets. And it's about how God's kingdom comes to the earth, about how the culmination of the ages, where God reestablishes his kingship over everything, how that takes place. And um, it's it, the scroll is like, the, the scroll represents the authority to guide human history to its you know, conclusion and tell us. So 
um, we've met the, the one who's seated on the throne and worship, and then we've met the lamb, and they're worshiped together. Um, then I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bet, bent excuse me, on conquest. So we're going to get into the specifics of this after we explore our Old Testament theme sort of next episode. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. This is actually talking about economic hardship. When the lamb opened the... F- Obviously. Yeah. You know, my <laughs> barley is a little more expensive than that, but that's okay. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him, or Hades, depending on how you want to pronounce it. They were given a power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So we're, we haven't even opened the scroll yet. These are just, we're like unlocking the seals. <laughs> When Jesus opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, which symbolizes victory, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now we're, verse 12, we're to the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun, now now keep this imagery in mind. All right, so there's an earthquake. Earthquake is a, is a massively important image. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, The whole moon turned red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And then this is the line we want to focus on. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Now, as a 20-something reading the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, you know, the, the, like, these were literally, like, literal pictures of what was going to happen. And whether they were comets or yeah. meteors, but, like, things were going to fall to the earth. The, the moon would turn red. And so we even hear about the blood moons these days as signs of the last days and all of this stuff. And the, the, the sky would be darkened if some big eclipse or something. And, um, and by now, if you followed us the whole way through, I, I hope that there's an initial, like, huh, I wonder what that's in reference to question. And I wonder how the first listeners would have heard this instead of just going, oh, man, that's really going to suck to watch that happen that day. Um, <laughs> and so, so when, when in the New Testament we read about the great day of their wrath has come. We have to introduce an Old Testament idea called the Day of the Lord. All right? Or if you're in Veggie Tales, the Day of the Gourd. Now, 
I don't know. I don't know. If if Phil didn't do that one, he should do that one. Absolutely. The day of the Lord. I know. So dumb. My my dad. My dad jokes. Um, what do flat earthers fear? Uh oh. Sphere itself. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I like well. it. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so. Um, we want to do we want to we do we want to do a quick oversimplified introduction to this idea of the day of the Lord, and like if you want an expanded blow up edition, well I shouldn't or expanded edition of this idea. The Bible Project has a series of podcasts on it where they explore it in much greater detail. Um, but this is a very common motif, and it's referenced by Jesus, by Paul, and here by John. When uh, John, you know, hears this great day of wrath has come. So to understand the imagery that we've just read about, um, we have to kind of get in view what what the great day sort of stands for. So we have to go all the way back into the book of Exodus. And we start in Exodus 1, where Israel has now grown and multiplied. This tribe of Abraham is now no longer a singular seed, but has grown into a great nation. And the Egyptian leaders are now starting to oppress them. So Exodus 1 verse 8, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters. Now, all of this imagery is going to come in in uh, maybe four or five episodes. We're going to revisit this story and these words, because there's also something being set up here that's pretty amazing. So they put slave masters over Israel to oppress them with forced labor. And they built uh, two cities as store cities for Pharaoh. I was going to try to pronounce them. I will not. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, right? Because if that's the only fun you have, I don't know. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, this, of course, is the setup to the great Passover story. And this, the Passover story, um, it's hard to overemphasize how important this story is to the entire biblical storyline. So we're actually going to revisit the Exodus story over and over and over. And even in Revelation, as we've pointed out, there is Exodus imagery. Here... Um, there are, we won't read the whole story, but God, God, um, declares war on Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. Each of the plagues is targeted against a specific Egyptian deity. So it's not random when we read about frogs or gnats or flies. These were all, you know, this was Yahweh declaring that he had power over the pretend Egyptian deities that you know that were represented by these different animals and the Nile and Pharaoh himself. So um, the plagues are uh, water into blood is the first one, frogs, gnats, flies, pestilence against the livestock that affected the livestock, sores or boils, Hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. And um, and we'll have to include, next episode, we'll have to include a little chart, I think, in the show notes. Because that list gets revisited in the book of Revelation a couple of different times. And so, um, God levels this series of plagues against... Egypt, the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh. And the defeat of Israel, excuse me, the defeat of Egypt and the liberation of Israel is literally called the first day of the Lord. All right? So okay. the day of the Lord becomes, um, in the in future, becomes an archetype based on this event. So 
in Exodus 14, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And that day becomes celebrated and memorialized in a feast called Passover. Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. So, so this was a singular event, right? The 10 plagues took however long they took, but the day of the Lord was when several things happened. One, God judged an oppressive empire. Two, he liberated people from that oppressive empire. And three, he showed himself to be sovereign over the oppressive empire. Right? That combination of things gets celebrated in the first praise song of the Bible. The first praise song comes right after the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds incident when you know Pharaoh chases Israel through the dry ground and the waters kind of collapse and and even here this is a this is a, a flood story um, that's you know being borrowed from Genesis in a really cool way um, in some you know amazing sort of parallels and so on. Are you with me Tim so far? God yes. God liberates his people on that day and on that day, he shows himself to be king and sovereign. He liberates them and he, and he deals with the oppressive nature of the empire. So the first worship song in the Bible is sung on the opposite side of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. And, um, it, and it includes references to all three of those things. God being king, people being liberated, and Egypt being judged. And all of that is sung in honor of something they call the day. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So Exodus 15, I will sing to the Lord. He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation, which is a really important. He's become salvation. He is my God. Mm -hmm. I will praise him. My father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Then later in the chapter, you, God, will bring them, us, Israel, in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Now, Egypt becomes a paradigm example of an, an empire that oppressed God's people. Babylon will become one of those as well, kind of an archetype. So anytime you read later in the story about Egypt or Babylon, it's not just talking about the stories that happened historically, but it's in reference often to empires of present day that were oppressing yeah. God's people as well. And so um, if, an, if an empire doesn't acknowledge and submit itself to God's rule, and liberate the oppressed, God will orchestrate events to, to judge that empire, show himself as sovereign or, or king, and then liberate his people, all right? Or liberate the oppressed people. That, yeah. those three ideas get wrapped up into something called the day of the Lord. And the first time we meet the day is in Exodus when God delivers his people and does those three things. Are you with me so far? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, this phrase, the day of the Lord, gets used in two different ways in the Old Testament. And this is where it gets really confusing. The day of the Lord is used in, in a historical sense, in a human history sense. So, so whenever God judges the great empires of the Old Testament, day of the Lord imagery is used to talk about that judgment. Simultaneously, there is talk of a future day of the Lord, an ultimate day of the Lord, when all of the historical instances of the day of the Lord along human history kind of get wrapped up into one great judgment of all evil, of all empire, of all human civilization that stands opposed from God in some ultimate and final sense. Are you with me? 
with the ultimate goal or the ultimate um, outcome being the liberation the of liberation the of the oppressed god showing himself as king and those empires are thrown down yes gotcha yeah so it's a historical account as well as a, a future this is what's hope. coming yes so those historical yeah. accounts give us pictures as to what the future coming looks like and and the talk oh. about the future coming also gives us imagery that's used to talk about the historical accounts that are going on. Yeah. Are you, I'm sorry to keep asking, yep. are you with me? But this is really. No, you're holding, you're, you have one hand going back, one hand going forward, holding both of those yes. things in tandem yes. for what they have meant and what they do mean. Yes, exactly right. So the day of the Lord happened historically. Right. Uh, to, to, uh, and against Egypt. It will continue to happen throughout the Old Testament against different nations. And one of the shocking nations it happens to is Israel, when Israel becomes the oppressor. Yeah. It will also happen to Babylon. And in the book of Revelation, it will happen to Rome. All of those historical instances point to an ultimate and final day of the Lord. And that final, ultimate day of the Lord is... Um, is like pictured in the smaller days of the Lord. But um, these smaller days of the Lord are borrowing from imagery that's used to talk about the ultimate day of the Lord. Totally. Okay? Yeah. So it's it's yeah. it's confusing, but there there's there's this sense in which the the theme throughout the Bible is that God will overthrow oppressive empires. And even if those empires turn out to be his own covenant people, God right. stands firmly against injustice. And so you know, the Exodus story begins with the Israels crying out, God hearing them, remembering his covenant, covenant, and then acting in history to deal with Egypt, to liberate his people, and demonstrate his sovereignty over all the pretenders. And the thing is, injustice and oppression, not social structures? Well, it, they're tied together. So I don't know that it would separate them, maybe. why? Because it, it feels like it's akin to like the rich man getting into heaven thing, where it's like, it's not impossible, it's more difficult. So there's a judgment yeah, of yeah, yeah. Well, motive let me get to and that. action, yes. not of... Yeah, no, you are anticipating this perfectly, my young apprentice. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I am what you wait. Oh, never mind. I was gonna butcher that by changing the tense. I like on it. it. You are what I am. What you <laughs> will leave behind is that what it is, or grow beyond, or something? something I don't like know. That. I don't know. I'm having a hard time translating it. So there is an ultimate moment when God will confront all the evil of the world forever, but there are also moments yeah. within history where the evil powers fall and the world changes as a result. The Bible uses yeah. the, phrase, the phrase day of the Lord to describe both. All right? Okay. So at, at the heart of the day of the Lord is God's opposition to human civilizations and rulers that exalt themselves to the level of the divine. Yeah. Right? And this, I mean, this is where we get those famous Lucifer passages. You know about Lucifer mm -hmm. falling? Well, I mean, in yeah, context, yeah. those are about cities or nation states that have exalted themselves to divine rule, right? So go, in, this is from Isaiah 2, go into the rocks. This is about Babylon. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. Why? Because the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and the human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. No, no one, whenever you hear the phrase in that day, right? That's to a day of the Lord. It could yeah. be an historical one or it could be an ultimate one or both. The Lord Almighty has a day in store. The minute you hear that, it's day of the Lord language. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for the proud and lofty. For all that is exalted and they will be humbled. Their arrog the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and idols will totally disappear. So at the heart of what we call empire 
that manifests itself in unjust structures and oppressive regimes is the temptation of human hearts to exalt themselves to like like to claim prerogatives that only God has. Right. Right. Divine rule, self-exaltation to divinity. Now notice when we're talking about we're still in Isaiah 2, when we're talking about that day against Babylon and in the future, notice the language that's used here. People will flee to caves in the rocks, which is exactly from uh, Revelation chapter 6. And the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Hmm. Earthquake imagery. Earthquake. Now, in Isaiah 13, we get a different uh, picture of the same day of the Lord that's coming against Babylon. They come, these foreigners come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Wait, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like the destru- it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Now notice, so this is talking about an historical event, the invasion of Egypt, or the invasion of Israel, sorry. But notice, <laughs> notice the language that's used to describe an historical instance of the day of the Lord. Are you ready? The yes. stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So, so there's cosmic imagery associated with the fall and judgment of these earthly kingdoms. Right? Do you notice that? So when we're reading yeah. in Revelation about sun being darkened and moon and all of those sorts of things, this is borrowing from imagery like this to talk from about that. the day of the Lord. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. But what sins? Like, who are we talking about? I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will what? Shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Babylon, the jewel of of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're talking about an historical instance of the overthrow of Babylon, right? The language used to talk about that is day of the Lord language. And day of the Lord language includes God being king and sovereign, the the self-exaltation of human beings being cast down and judged, liberated people being set free and something happening in the cosmos, right? Some sort of like cosmic thing and earthquake that happens. All right. That's Isaiah 13. The sun gets covered with goat hair. Yes. Super blood wolf moon. There it is. There's a Pearl Jam reference. So the day of the Lord is coming. The text says it clear as day that it's describing the fall of the city of Babylon to the Persians. And that this is orchestrated, according to the Old Testament writers, by Yahweh. To and, and they use cosmic imagery to describe that event. Jesus will use this same language when he talks about the fall of Jerusalem. The day of the Lord. That's Remember when he's weeping over the city? Or when he's prophesying mm-hmm. that, that the, the temple stones won't be on top of each other once the judgment of God comes? And then he talks about cosmic signs. Like that's all day of the Lord language against Israel. Now, and this language comes from the book of Joel. So Joel is a oracle against Israel. So the big shocking thing that happens is that Egypt is an instance of Babylon. Babylon is an instance of Babylon. And Israel is an instance of Babylon and needs to be judged. So notice the, the, the similarity in language. Blow the trumpet in Zion, in Jerusalem. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the promised land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Again, cosmic imagery. Like a dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes. God is going to judge Israel now through another nation. 
And this is talking about that, that sack of Jerusalem um, in the Old Testament. Such as never was, an army like this, such as never was in ancient times, nor will there be in ages to come. Before this army. So he's talking about an historical event. Before this army, the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. Do you see? I mean, do you just, I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here, Stafford. I smell what you're saying. The Lord in. thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, the mighty. So he's using a pagan army to judge Israel. And, 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 and <laughs> I mean, and, and it's incredible. He's warning Israel that he's coming at the head of this pagan army to judge them. And he says, the day of the Lord is great. Like, and by that, he means like terrible. It is dreadful. Yeah. Who can endure it? Now, this question, who can endure the day of the Lord? Okay, that's going to come back in just a second. Now, and then he continues, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Oh, that's straight from Revelation 6, right? And before the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There, Peter quotes that later. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So Israel's about to be judged, but there will be a remnant still faithful. In Joel 3, the sun, talking about the same day, the sun and moon will be darkened. The stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel, even though he's judging them. Then the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi with, a pro with the um, prophecy of, the, of, of some, someone coming like Ezekiel to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to their children. I'm, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, now the New Testament, this is all reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the um Ezekiel no is it Ezekiel or Elijah I think it's Elijah it's Elijah not Ezekiel yeah. sorry I will send my messenger who will come and prepare the way before me so a second Elijah was coming it turns out to be John the Baptist then suddenly <laughs> not who they imagined oh that's the thing then suddenly <laughs> the lord you are seeking will come to his temple this is when Jesus comes and clears it out uh the lord the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. But who can endure the day of his coming? Again, the day of his coming. Who can stand when he appears? Now, for, we're, we're going to explore this more next week, but, well, let me get there. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, so... You guys have to, you, this, you have to watch this on YouTube because Mike's very excited. I just, I love it. You're in visual excitement. I love this stuff. So back, so with all of that background, okay, here's Revelation, the second part of Revelation 6. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake, okay? In every instance of the day of the Lord, language is used of a great earthquake. The sun yeah. turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. The heavens receded like a scroll rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in where? Caves and among the rocks. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us. From the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for great, for excuse me, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Now, bro, there were some in John's audiences who were Jewish, and if you were Jewish, odds are you had great, massive, like. The Jews didn't use verse numbers because all you had to do was say the first two words of a verse and the whole section would come into view. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I got yeah. you. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I don't have to say anything more. It's, it's Psalm 23. Yeah. So when you read about 
an earthquake, the sun turning black, the moon turning red, the heavens trembling and being rolled up, people hiding among the rocks, referencing a day of wrath, and then asking who can stand it. What's happening isn't a linear progression about how the world ends, but rather the symbolism of the day of the Lord brought into John's listeners present and now going to be applied to Rome. All right. So this becomes this and in it, in it, oh, I can't give away too much. (laughs) The next, the next chapter seven. So chapter six ends with who can stand when the day of the Lord comes. Yeah. Well, well, then we're going to meet a heavenly army of 144,000 people. He's going to hear about an army that's been sealed. They can stand before the throne. And then Mm. he hears about an army uh, of 144,000, but then he sees a multitude from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So he sees an Israelite picture 12,000 from the 12 tribes. He hears about that, but then he sees grafted onto that Israel picture is a picture of the nations, right? And those people are all standing before the throne. So the question, who can stand when the great day of the Lord comes, it's all the people who were faithful to God. They stand. That's the picture. So the, the, the vision that to come answers the question that chapter six ends on, which is who can stand? Oh, well, here's this great array of martyrs who can stand. But the point for our purposes is unless you are drenched in day of the Lord language, you you are thinking what we're going to get now are we're going to get we're going to get a, a series of three sevens, so twenty one separate linear events that give us a calendar to the ultimate end of the age. And what instead we're going to get are three um, instances of day of the Lord imagery all leveled against Babylon, which is Rome in John's mind. So instead of like giving us a linear calendar, it's repeating, it's cycling imagery over and over and over. And as we'll see, the imagery comes from the plagues of Egypt. It comes from um, exile. And it comes from Day of the Lord imagery. And so um, so if you have your Old Testament glasses on, this next massive section, we're going, to re- we're going to meet dragons and beasts. But if you miss that what's happening here is that the imagery that started from the Exodus, where we talked about a day of God's wrath towards the oppressors and liberation towards those who were oppressed, and the display of his sovereignty over everything. And then that you see that that happens against Egypt and against Babylon and against Israel. And now all of that imagery is being pulled forward into these little bitty house churches to say what happened to them is going to happen to the city of Rome. Now, it doesn't happen immediately, but it does happen. But what the original audience would not have thought they were reading is a calendar that they could check off as events around them happened. Right. What they were reading instead was was the promise that in the same way that God had dealt with evil empires in, in, in previous eras. And those empires at the time were always the greatest empires the world had ever seen. In the same way God dealt with them, he will deal with Rome. And that those who sit now having been persecuted and oppressed by Rome will be liberated and vindicated the way that Israel was out of Egypt. And in chapter 19, we meet the final day of the Lord. And that's when God and all of the martyrs show up and Jesus has the sword and deals with all the kings of the earth. That's the final culminating day of the Lord. And then we go straight into judgment. So, so in Revelation, we both we get, and this is where it gets confusing, we, we get an, an historical instance of the day of the Lord against Rome. And then we get a picture right. of what the final ultimate day of the Lord looks like where Jesus comes with blood dripping on his robe that's his own, a sword coming out of his mouth, which is just the word of God, and no one actually fights or does anything. 
which is amazing. It's it's just it's just like how is this confusing? It's so clear. <laughs> well, we we pay a and, and then and then I mean you know then Jesus Jesus comes bearing the day of the Lord like in a historical sense and and he does it in two senses. One, he's judging Israel, like he. Right. Like, because of the choice that Israel will make, Israel, he knows, will not repent and follow his way of being Israel in the world. And so he says, he, and he uses Day of the Lord imagery. So, so like there are these apocalypses, like they call them little apocalypses in Mark like 13 and in Matthew that use all of this cosmic imagery. And you think, oh yeah, Jesus is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the Day of the Lord against that generation of Israel. And it's shocking. But he's also waging war on a cosmic scale against this great Satan, this great accuser, this great, this great body of spiritual beings that he calls the strong man that hold humanity in, in captivity. And so yeah. he's waging two day of the, the Lords at one time. One is he's liberating captives all over the place. And sometimes they're from captivity to the false ideas about God that were present in Israel, like through the Pharisees. Right. Other times he's liberating people from the strong man directly. Actually, yeah. Right? Yeah. So so both the historical sense and the ultimate sense are happening in Jesus's ministry. Because Jesus is the Passover lamb, but instead, and this is where it got so confusing to the disciples because you're clearly bringing the day of the Lord against Rome, right? So that's why their last question is, are you going to restore to the kingdom to Israel? Because clearly you're the Messiah and clearly you're bringing the day of the Lord. And Jesus keeps talking about, yes, I am bringing the day of the Lord. Um, but the ultimate Pharaoh isn't Rome. There's somebody the worse you know, that sits behind all the empires of the world. And that's who I am bringing judgment upon. So, I mean, there's so many things happening at the same time. It, it makes sense why it's really tough to understand it and why totally. unless, and this is where we neglect the Old Testament. And, and I just so, I so disagree with guys like Andy Stanley who say, listen, all we need is the New Testament. Our, our trust is not in a book, it's in an event. And I, I agree with that in principle, but you can't understand the event without the book. Yeah, totally. If anything has been clear through this study, it's that the entire book is linked. It's hyperlinked to each other. There. You cannot yeah. separate it out. And and to do so, we get some of these distortions. Now, it doesn't mean that whatever we come up with is perfect, but it does mean that if if we if our first imaginative move when we come to a text is asking a especially in revelation a how would how does this is this coming from a place in the old testament and then going back and looking at the old testament text that it's coming from and then secondly asking is it in dialogue with something that rome was saying about itself and with those two bits right. of background you can make sense of a lot of the book not all of it there are parts of it i still that are so obscure and i have no clue <laughs> but you can make out the major shadings and moves that the author is making as the visions unfold and realize, oh, this is a book of comfort for those who are persecuted and warning to those who are oppressing. Yeah. Which is exactly what prophetic apocalyptic books sounded like in the Old Testament. So I don't I don't want to go too much further, Tim. I want to just let this yeah. this this is one of the more important episodes because if you if we can carry this episode and the background into what we're going to look at next episode, which are three instances of Day of the Lord imagery, and they're all accompanied by sevens. So we have we have seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, and each within them they have um, Day of the Lord imagery. So the the issue is: are these are are these three separate events that are happening? Or are we circling the drain three times, making the same point about um, one one historical instance? And I think it's going to be clear that it's that one. 
We do get a future one, though, in the book. Absolutely. I think there are future elements in the book, no question. But the future elements pull from That's not, yeah. imagery that was in the Old Testament and would have been understood by John's listeners and not just only makes sense right. to us thousands of years later. So I do think there's future stuff. I do think there's a reference to a, an ultimate day of the Lord in 19 when Jesus comes with the with the host, entire host of heaven, all dressed in white. And he throws down the kings of the earth. And then we go to the great and cosmic judgment scene. Um, I think that's future stuff. Absolutely. But how much of that is... It's... it's Say it, Tim. Say like it, How Tim. much of... Well, I... I don't want to ask too many larger questions. Don't do it, Tim. There, there's so much parallelism in rhyming throughout. That's it, man. The entire biblical text, not just this, obviously, but, um, and there's so much metaphor or symbolism, right? Imagery that's being used to get something else across, yep. right? So yep. we've we've stressed so many times how to as soon as a metaphor is used then we have to try to take take a pause to look what at the meta, what's the metaphor what genre for? what's yeah and why why is the author using symbolic language rather than right straightforward practical language right. and so all that stuff with jesus and the sword and the blood and we talked about last episode and how those things are not the driscoll version of jesus on a horse coming in just annihilating people because it's finally our time to be yeah we get to finally use power the winners over. or yeah which is what the entire book seems to be subverting or the day of the lord is pushed yeah exactly so it's you know that's frustrating because <laughs> it's been like yeah. or humorous that it's been used opposite literally opposite of but so with stuff but like you can see how he gets there because the historical oh, yeah, you're instances, just, you just read the pictures on the page. But the historical instances were violent. Like, yeah, so that's a large question that I have overall. It's just about like, so even there still is violent or maybe it's just how we interpret or how we hear things because we are a culture that is just so steeped in violence and bloodlust and yeah. So when you read a lot of this stuff, it's still, even as you're picking it apart symbolically, it's hard not to see this as Absolutely. violent rhetoric. The great ra well, no, it is violent rhetoric. We have to see it as violent rhetoric. And yeah. it's violent rhetoric because the historical instances were violent. So right. when, when Egypt pulling oppressed, hold on. When Egypt oppressed Israel, yeah. people, real people died. And when whatever, right? right? And so Egypt was defeated real people died when babylon was thrown down real people died when israel was invaded real people died when israel was invaded by rome in jesus's day real people died so these were like historical instances of great violence so that imagery is appropriate to those instances the totally. great shock of revelation is that when god finally gets the last word it's the lion who looks like a lamb that was slain that's doing it Right, subverting an idea of retaliatory violence. Redemptive violence. Um, redemptive violence, there you go. And which we've talked about with that and the, I, the, myth, of, the myth of redemptive violence, right? Yes. That I am owed, um, and we see that a lot in Jesus' words often, this idea of pushing back against this idea of redemptive, right. this myth of redemptive That's violence. Right. The metaphorical stuff, like the Old Testament is fascinating. And we've looked at things like whether it's um, a literal Adam and Eve or, you know, how that when you read that passage, literally, it becomes difficult to understand the way that the earth is progressing and humanity and population is progressing. And we've looked at things like Noah's Ark and um, whether or not that was uh, playing into mythology of the time. So was it perhaps less about God actually flooding the earth or more about a, a particular message that was trying to be delivered to people using stories they were familiar with is stuff like the Exodus. Is it falling into that category too? Like I, is that the red seas like an actual event that happened or are we looking at another metaphorical symbolic idea of, them being delivered from Egypt. Does that make sense? Uh, it, like, it totally makes sense. 
So this is where I would disagree with guys like Pete Enns, who are much smarter than I, um, who would point out that, hey, we don't have a lot of archaeological confirmation that Egypt, like, or that Israel was ever in captivity to Egypt. And we don't have a Red mm-hmm. Sea. We have a Sea of Reeds. And there, there's manuscript evidence that the Sea of Reeds, you know, so on, so on, so on. What the the issue the issue that I have isn't I'm no archaeological expert I'm no expert on ancient Near Eastern you know thought forms or whatever, um, but the Exodus is such a paradigmatic account of salvation for Israel, and it's and it's and it's referenced every year in Passover that for the life of me I cannot see. Israel referencing something that's a metaphor the way that they did. Mm. The, it had to be an historical event of something uh, it became, because it became so important. And, and the Jews and Jesus uh, and, you know, the Old Testament doesn't refer to it as metaphorical. Um, so I, I actually think something did happen. Now, whether or not, the, you know, it's Charlton Heston and the sea is massive and all of Egypt was drowned and Pharaoh died... I don't know. Um, I tend to I tend to give it the benefit of the doubt until it's shown otherwise, um, because so much of that imagery then leads into Jesus and is used by Jesus. That I go, nope. I think the rhyming God, the God of the Old Testament, is a God of history, and um, and again, Pete would have you know, and, and and not just Pete. I mean, lots of people would think that, but um, Pete would have answers to all of those sorts of things. But but for me personally, I don't see. Um, I don't see the Exodus as it, I think it's both. I think, and I, I think the same with Adam and Eve. I, I think that there were some first humans, but I also think they're archetypes and paradigms. And I think both are true. But the, it changes the interpretation or it changes the, I don't know, just as we're, as it just seems like an important thing to put a, pin in or to try to revisit from time to time just as all this imagery is being brought back up yeah you know and and i think it would be good it'd be great to not today but to have that conversation that you had with sky about the old testament violence and um revelations of god that aren't the full revelation of god yeah Right. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that conversation that you had was really helpful. The things that you brought into that about how to interpret Old Testament violence and how to interpret because that stuff is sown. I, I'm just bringing all this up because as we as the book of Revelation has been used so much for violence yeah. and to exalt violence yes. and to justify, I guess it maybe is a better term, violence. Um, to look back at, well, what is God's actual position on violence? And how does, when God, because drowning the entire Egyptian army, there is a retaliatory. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, bro, that's a great series worth doing. Like God's view of violence. And that's that's a great idea. Let's, Let's drop a pin on that, my friend. I think that's really good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I want to. I want to just let him go. It's under an hour, but it was a thick hour, dude. That was just a lot of, like I'm talked out after all that. Yeah, you're totally blurry, man. You're so tired. You're blurry. I know on the YouTube's. I don't understand what's <laughs> happening right now. Uh, although I, I think I look better. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we're in the thick of it, baby, um, and uh, I think I think that you know, even if you don't buy this take on it that's fine i mean part of what we want to do is just to open up the idea that there are other ways of understanding that are dealing that are that are biblical that aren't just some you know interpretation over here i don't like the angry jesus so let's find a different way to explain it um and uh you know i i think tim i like that you keep coming back to like what is it about revelation that um, leads it to such distortion? And, and I think the, the answer in, in revelation is true of the Bible as a whole. That the Bible is the kind of thing that whatever you're looking for, you'll find. 
because it reveals whatever it is you bring to it. So, um, totally. You know what I mean? Well, the other thing too, is like you were bringing up in that last part is I am so curious about what the evil, like how I was thinking about this yesterday with, um, uh, we were talking about something in the classroom. I can't remember what it was, but how evil influences, mm. how chaos, how these evil entities influence. Yes. And then, yes. um, are humans because we were we were brought up that humans are born evil that we're bad and that we need um, yeah. God's grace and influence, but how much of is it that we are born and then we are influenced? Yeah, and when with some of this language that's being used in Revelation, how much of that is about destroying the influence and freeing even those who are evil from the captivity of yeah. a power and principality? Does that make sense? Of like. Course. Not not to let humanity off the hook, but it changes the conversation a little bit about if, know, roots and power no, over and the power that's over all of if, us. If for the New Testament, the supreme example of God's power is the crucifixion of Jesus, where he is that in that event, he is totally. enthroned as king and yes. he's forgiving those who are doing it. Yeah, because they don't know what they well, do. Like he has me goosebumps. It's, a, it's such an undercurrent for all of all us. of it. And, and that's why you get to the lamb and you're like, yep, yeah, this is totally, totally congruent, baby. <laughs> and, and, yep. and guys like Brian Zahn and Greg Boyd will say, what Revelation does is it allows us to, to give a lamb-shaped lens hmm. through which we read the entire Old Testament. Because what they will say, and, and I, I don't know. Oh, that's really interesting. Huh? That's really interesting. It is because part of what Revelation does is give a lamb-shaped reading of the Old Testament. Yeah, totally. So so they will, and again, they, they'd say it differently and better, and I'm oversimplifying. But how I've heard them is to say, yeah, what Revelation is doing is giving us a rereading of the Day of the Lord passages, the Messianic King passages, you know, all of the, the massive movements of God's redemptive history, but now they're lamb shaped. And so when they're all yeah. brought to fruition, it's, it's, oh, it's the dude with the robe that's, that's got his own blood on it. That's the, that's doing all this. I think that's really important. And I, I think that's what I was trying to ask a few minutes ago was how much of like, what we, we just have, how we approach the old testament how important it is how it rhymes how there's parallelism all this kind of stuff but that's in a really important lens that we don't have often when we're looking back and and trying to parse out what it is that god's doing and then how jesus relates to that so it's like again you know it shows the importance of understanding the history and the context and and even you were just saying like you know you talked about when people are like how do i read the bible you know like start in Matthew and, and ask a question for every single thing that pops up. Right. <laughs> totally. I, I think that's really smart. And then, so you look at revelations, like that's the exact same thing. Like you're gonna have more questions, yeah. but yeah. What does this mean? What is, yep. As you're talking about when we get into chapter seven and then these dragons and Godzilla shows up, it's like, okay, what is Godzilla really going to show up? Like did those movies know something we didn't? Is this it's how God true. is going it's to all true. <laughs> judge all of it? Mothra and Godzilla are coming. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the real shocker of Revelation <laughs> is, is that the dragon is real as a dragon. Yeah. Great. That's good stuff, bro. Always. Uh, so friends, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, many of you, for your support and kind words. Thank you to the rest of you for just listening and, not, and making it this far. Um, <laughs> we're always shocked. And uh, we're grateful. We're grateful to be a small part of your day and of your life. And so thank you for trusting us with all that. Our goal in all of this is to somehow be helpful and um, just remind ourselves most of all, but but whoever will listen of how beautiful this whole Jesus thing really turns out to be. So until next time, friends, thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. 
Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us